Welcome to the Libertarian Tex-Mex Podcast with your host, Caesar Aguirre. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. Um, I'm your host, Cesar Aguirre, and we have a special guest today. We've got Rob on the mic. Hello everybody. Very glad to be back. Yeah. So, uh, I, I think I was, we were talking about it before, but I did a short podcast right before this um, just to kind of get my, my uh, feet wet a little bit because I took a, a little bit of a hiatus, probably like, I'm thinking about it, it's probably like two or three months. Um, but <clears throat> the podcast before was actually about my mom, um, and, and I told the, you know the listeners that um, she had passed away, um, and I was thinking, reflecting, and one of the things that I really thought about recently was, I mean, how similar my mom and I are. But I mean, it's like classic, you know, it's like normal, right? Your core beliefs are from your parents, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So you know, we get you kind of. You know, you grow and you're in different times, so you maybe you'll have your own interpretation of things, right? But for sure, my mom was like, well, you you know my mom, super independent, super like, this is how it is, f you if you don't like it, right? Type of thing. And I was thinking about it, and I was like, you know what? No wonder I somehow got pigeonholed into not pigeonholed, but somehow I found myself in the libertarian camp because it's very independent, right? It's very like, let me do my thing, yeah. Um, and I was like, well, no wonder I was a libertarian. I was a libertarian before I even knew it. Yeah, your mom, your mom was very libertarian in spirit. <laughs> yeah, very libertarian in spirit. But one of the things I said for uh, for the other previous podcast was my parents were pretty. Um, they're very much well. They they can they consider themselves independent. Mm-hmm. They don't really you know toe the line with any party. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, they voted Democrat. For the most part, sometimes yeah. I think sometimes they voted Republican, but very much like. Without the label, I think they were mostly on the classically liberal yeah. side, right? Like, and your dad had a little bit of a left progressive edge, didn't he? Yes, yeah. Um, well, or doesn't he rather? On specific say. topics, right? But I President. think the core, they were very much about like, you know, injustice, yeah. treating people fairly, those things. Yeah. And then on top of that, I think as they got older, they definitely thought about like Medicare was important, mm-hmm. um, immigration, mm-hmm. stuff like that. So yeah. Mm-hmm. The, like the those little ancillary topics became more left yeah. as they got through. Um, your dad fits into a mold that I've seen repeated a few times over the years of uh, Mexican American uh, baby boomer males who uh, succeeded in life, um, succeeded in business, raised families, etc. But um, yeah, they kind of pulled themselves up by uh, their bootstraps, um, had no help. Um, and you'd think that would make them much more libertarian, but um, for reasons we could try to explore, um, they ended up being pretty progressive. Um, yeah. You know? That's true. And I think, you know, thinking about my mom and dad, I think, especially the time that they grew up in, right? Even they, for my parents, they grew up 60s, 70s, 80s, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm sure they saw massive amounts of injustice. Yeah, exactly. That probably pushed them, you know, to the left. And yeah. thing. Like how we said is like, you know, they took the opportunities, they took the, the huge, like, you know, uh, movement on the economy, it just boomed, right? Yep. So they were able to capitalize on it. Yeah. But I think they got, they seen, they saw plenty of injustice out there. And they, uh, they have, you know, 
clear recollections of all of the activist struggles um, against that, like the the farm workers and yeah. the Chicano, you know, sort of militancy. Oh, for sure. That um, emulated the the Black Panthers, those kind of groups. For sure, and uh, so it's it really interesting to see where that route was and then kind of what I took from it yeah. and then, you know, propelled myself into the libertarian scene. But I was, on this previous podcast, I was thinking more, my core root of the whole main reason I'm a libertarian is focused very solely on civil liberties, right? Mm-hmm. That's the core for me. And then everything else kind of like fits a little bit more pieces of it. Like, okay, that makes sense. Like, if I'm for civil liberties, I should probably let people make their own choices in the mm-hmm. market, things like that, right? Mm-hmm. So it kind of builds like that. Um, and then recently, it's been more kind of that, you know, the there's a spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you have, like, anarcho-capitalists. Uh-huh. You oh, have yeah. mini-archists. Yeah, yeah. You have all these different styles of it. Yeah. And so kind of understanding where I lean has been a big thing I'm thinking about right now. And honestly, I'm... I've, I've always teetered on the line of libertarian and classically liberal. Like sometimes I understand why there's a policy, right? Yeah. Or sometimes get a conversation we talk about all the time. Like I always bust your balls about it, about the free market, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I bust it yours yeah, right I, back. <laughs> but it's such a fascinating. It, uh, it's really interesting, but yeah, for sure. I always so, see. I see. So complex. I always see points where government does intervene, and you're going. It had to happen, right? Yeah. I'm thinking about lead paint or things like that. Mm-hmm. Like, clearly these people were like using lead paint because it was cheaper, or they didn't care about the effects or something like that. So, what do you do in those moments? I mean, well, the, a pure and perfect libertarian would say, "Wait until enough lives are destroyed <laughs> that file <laughs> yeah. class action litigation against the, the lead paint producers." Um, there, you know, they have their their comeuppance, their moment of accountability in the in the courts. Yeah, uh, you know, that's pretty much it. The court system. Yeah. Collective, collective bargaining or collective lawsuit. Yeah. Type of thing. So, anyways, so um, but I know the our primary thing today is to talk about uh, the debates, the Democratic debates. So yeah. They're ripping and warring. I mean, I think we talked about this several months ago. I'm wondering why they started so early. Do you, do you know why? Do you think? Do you think there's a good strategy on starting so early? For going after uh, Elizabeth Warren? Well, I'm just thinking generally on the debates, like, uh, how many people? It was like 10. It was 10 per night, I believe. 10 per, so it was 20 candidates. Yeah. And they're starting, they started in the summertime, but our election is not till November 2020. Uh, 2020. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's, it's like, like a year and a half. Yeah. You, wow. get, you, could ha- you could get, technically, get somebody pregnant. Back to back. <laughs> <laughs> Around the time of the election. It's that far away. <laughs> and there's already televised spectacles. <laughs> yeah, so I'm trying to figure out the strategy, you know? Like, I'm thinking, why would you do this? Because it kind of feels like a little bit disarray from the Democratic uh, National Party. Yeah. So, but maybe they, uh, the only thing I'm thinking about right now is because they do have so many candidates. They That's what to, it is. They need to weed it out. They need. They need to. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, the Democrats, I, I feel like, are a little bit more um, strategic. Meaning, like, they probably already know who they want their four or five people to. Be well, you know, of. obviously, you're going to have um, the party establishment is going to be squarely behind Biden. Yeah. Um, all yeah. the major donors, all the super delegates, which is, I mean, 
I always I, I'm I've started calling the Democratic Party the not very democratic party because <laughs> the way they select their candidates is like it's like the Politburo in the Soviet Union. It's, oh yeah, it's like all this internal oh, yeah. like you know like House of Cards intrigue, all this business. Um, and we also we we, we saw, saw we, we saw, saw the last time around. Last year, oh right? my God, With Bernie Sanders. It was absolutely uh, shameful. Totally just got sidelined. Yep. But I mean. It, I know he's your boy, or he was your boy. He, well, I, I, he I, was your boy. I'm no longer. But I mean, he no longer behind He him. willfully went with it. You know, he was like, "Okay, we'll let Hillary go. You give me, you know, the seat for the next election. Yeah, and give me a beach house. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So he went with it, which uh, was kind of disappointing. Um, I gotta imagine it was disappointing for Bernie Sanders supporters. Yeah, um, I think so. Yeah. I think they're uh, the sort of Bernie Bro insurgency. I don't. I, I don't see it. I don't see it. Um, you know. Yeah. Emerging this time I, around at all. And I'm trying. I'm trying to figure because I know we were talking about, talking about the debates. One of the key things that I was noticing is that, I mean, for the Democrats, they're saying their their propaganda or their marketing is like we're fighting for the heart of America. But really, I felt like I don't know how you felt about like the key takeaway. I feel like there's the they're fighting for the heart of the Democratic Party. Oh, like, there's no doubt about that. You know, like are there's we going no extremely progressive? Or are we going moderate? Um, uh, there's a huge fight with the candidates, right? Oh, that's I mean, there's no doubt about it. The um, the what we're watching play out is a battle between uh, the intersectionalists on one side, you know, the, um, the identitarians, um, and then the old sort of corporate friendly, you know, uh, democratic leadership council, Clintonite kind of, you know, um, willing and dealing. Yeah. The, just the Democrats we've had for the last 25 years. Yeah. Um, the main, you know, the mainstream Democrats, yeah. the ones who are get elected. Yeah. Um, so you have, and then it's kind of, you have some hybrids like Cory Booker, is basically a corporate candidate. He's the, the senator from Big Pharma. That's what they call him. <laughs> it's New Jersey, right? Like he's, yeah, that's where major corporations there. Yeah, I mean they have a lot of. New Jersey has its fair share of um, corporate headquarters just on the other side of the. Mm-hmm. What is it the East River? Mm-hmm. Uh, from from New York City. Yeah. So um, you know it's a big big corporate hub, and then they have a lot of hep, you know polluting industry and. Um, they call it the Garden State, but apparently there's not that many gardens. <laughs> apparently, it's really, it's really shitty. I don't know. I've never been. The Olive Garden State. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I definitely saw it play out where, like, I'm thinking very specifically when it came to healthcare. You know, they, I, it seems like the Democrats. I because I heard it many times, so it's like, is this like a common? The Democratic Party is really pushing it on all their candidates is the Medicare for all versus universal health care, you know. But because um, there's a couple of candidates that were the progressives that were talking about universal health care yeah, yeah. should be the goal. No ifs, ands, or buts. No hybrid system, which is, I think, the most sensible approach. And, that, and that's what I'm thinking. I, it seems like Medicare for all is that hybrid approach where it's like, you know, we want to get some kind of bare-bones system of health coverage for people that allows people to go to the private you know private market or if they need help they can go to the public market yeah um that like you said i think that's the middle ground hybrid like this is going to work the best Mm -hmm. and there's candidates up there who i think the colorado uh governor was like we need sensible bills that are going to 
make it because we have to get these things passed with Republicans. Yeah. And there's the extreme left people out there that were like, no, you need to go shoot for the moon and go for universal health care and not kowtow to Republicans. Yeah. So it's really interesting to see kind of what you said is extreme left, the more moderates who are trying to be more pragmatic, but they're fighting with each other. But, you know, like the classic, like a very, every election, you know, seems to be the same strategy where you go garnish the extreme left or right mm -hmm. and then you pull yourself to the middle. Oh, yeah, the yeah. The, there's the primary uh, primary election, then the general election. Yeah. And there's always, yeah, uh, both parties throw red meat to their, um, to the fringes, to that to the activists, you know, the people who are really, really involved and like go show up to like their... Their local <laughs> county, like Democratic or Republican Party, you know, yeah, whatever, you know, and yeah, um, yeah I'd show up to uh, city hall meetings and like really, really civic, like annoyingly civically engaged people. I think I'm in totally in favor of being civic, you know, civic engagement. Yeah. It's a really, really good ethical practice, For but sure. um, yeah, at the same time, <laughs> have a life, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm, I was thinking about those things watching the, the, um, the debates knowing those like it's a classic strategy go to the extremes and then pull yourself in the middle so then i looked at and i was thinking about the debates of the the democrats who are a little bit more moderate and you're mm -hmm. going that's the middle you yeah. know where you should go yeah but are they deploying moderate moderation too early um, that's that's a good point you know what and, I'm it, saying? and it, seg it segues neatly into what i was th thinking about which is that what if um the people who are Characterized as you know the militant, irreconcilable left, um, Sanders, Warren, whoever else is ca calling for you know total overhaul, eradication of yeah of the private health insurance mm -hmm. industry, which is you know, pretty. I mean that's straight up revolutionary. Yeah. That's like Bolshevik. Yeah. That's yeah. that's you know going mm -hmm. all the way, uh, and replacing it with um, something exclusively taxpayer funded. Um, maybe. They are secret pragmatists who know that that's impossible or, or just, you know, wildly, wildly, wildly impractical. And it's like they're making a really, really like a brazenly um, like highball initial, yeah. initial offer. Yeah. And they know it's going to get negotiated down to something, you know. Yeah. More, more, more practical. So they're just like, like you said, let's yeah. shoot for the moon yeah. and negotiate our way down to something that's. You actually just made me think. Like, I don't know why I didn't think about this with Bernie Sanders, but that fits Bernie Sanders, don't you think? Like, his <coughs> his rhetoric is probably extreme, like, you know, American socialism. Yeah. Uh, but in reality, he's not right. Like, he's got. A, you know, we talk about all the time. He's got an F thirty five base. He's that's. He's military funded. He's probably allowing a lot of corporate. Tax relief in his state or whatever. Yeah. So he he'll talk the game, but yeah. when it comes to the execution of it, he realizes he's got to be moderate. You know. Well, definitely. For sure. I mean, he has to know somewhere somewhere in his consciousness um, that there's no way you can have Medicare for all. You can have Scandinavian style universal coverage for everybody, funded by the taxpayer, and the most waste the, the, the most the, the most totally. the most scandalous. Yeah waste of government money in the history of the country, yeah. I think, oh, the F-35, sure. oh, and yeah. he's, not only is he one of its 
uh, it doesn't get nearly enough attention. Yeah. He's one of its most prominent boosters or yeah. one of its most enthusiastic boosters, not yeah. prominent because it's kind of happening under the radar. But yes, that uh, F-35 base in Burlington, Vermont, which the local city council voted to, to, re to be removed because the F-35, one of the reasons, I, I, and this is, I don't want I'll, I'll to, I'll be very brief, I'll be very brief. Uh, uh, one of the things that makes it such a disaster is that it's one of the most powerful jet engines ever produced. Um, and it just has this airplane uh, wrapped around it that can't handle the, the heat that this engine produces. So that's why they're always catching fire and stuff. And such a, <laughs> and such a powerful jet engine is extremely loud. And so, um, and the Burlington Airport apparently, oh, uh, the Air Force Base is one of those Air Force bases that's conjoined to, an, to a city's airport. Oh, Like wow. Albuquerque yeah. used to be that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a, a you know, smattering of cities. It, it used to be quite a lot, but the number I think has been reducing, has been you know, diminishing over the years. But uh, Burlington, Vermont is one of those cities. Apparently, and apparently, you know, it's not a very big city. It's like maybe 150,000 people, right. a couple yeah, hundred yeah. thousand. You know, it's yeah. a city like that. And the airport is fairly central. And so when these things take off and land, it rattles the windows, like, of all the businesses and the schools, and it's just, it's like, the children find it distracting, yeah. and, like, this, this, yeah. the city council was like, no more. Yeah. Build a base outside of the city. And one of the main, like, like the real, like, Palpatine of the situation, it was like, no, and slammed the iron fist of the state down, was, missed, was Senator Bernard Sanders. <laughs> Dang. Yes. That's how committed he is to the goddamn F-35. <laughs> That's why I no longer support him. That's why he pisses me off. Let's dip our toe in the F-35 for a second, <laughs> by the way. Because I know you, it's like one of your favorite subjects. But I read in the news the other day that they're selling the F-35s to other countries now. Oh, that's been um, part of the deal the whole time. And I remember, I, I just, I was thinking about you the other day because I laughed. Because it was on like CNBC, like Facebook, right? Mm -hmm. And I put, I was just going in there slamming the F-35. Like, I, I, I put some comment of basically like... It's great that they bought it, but it's just going to be sitting there because it doesn't work. Right. Right. And then somebody just totally just like went eight on the fact that I was bashing the F-35. <laughs> but I mean, do you know anything about this? Like, are, are they functional? Do they work the way they're supposed to? Well, the one that uh, the one that crashed into the sea in April was a Japanese F-35. And um, I paid, you know, paid, paid some attention to that situation, and um, the official story about what happened, I think, is just a cover-up. I think it was um, in order to av avoid further embarrassment for the program. I think the this, you know, it's a flying computer. That the, the 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 crash happened at night, and so in theory, you're supposed to have this amazing flying computer that just yeah. tells you that can yeah. you can fly in any kind of situation because mm -hmm. you know you. The pilot's just kind of an appendage, just like that, you know, kind of pl plays with a joystick, you know, that's or at least that's the, that's the sales pitch. But it, I mean, that system probably malfunctioned and um, told him incorrect information. He yeah. just plummeted into this, in, into the ocean. <laughs> you're in the sky, bud. Yeah. Just keep going. Yeah. You're heading. Yeah. Stay on this heading. Well, and then the other thing I thought I was kind of laughing at because they were saying, I think it was Israel bought uh, F-35s. Yeah. And their comment was basically like, we could send this over Iran before they even knew it was there. And that's probably true because Iran doesn't have very sophisticated air defenses. Right. right. That's like bragging that um, <laughs> I, I, you, you see that bumblebee over there? I can kill it with my with this shotgun. That's <laughs> like what that argument is like. Like and like the F thirty you don't have to have the F thirty five to evade Iran's air defenses. It can be yeah. done with a much less expensive, yeah. much less sophisticated plane. <laughs> 
So you're saying Iran doesn't have satellites. They have a dude that's with binoculars in the sky. And he's like, I think I see something. Wait a minute. No, no. That's just a bird. <coughs> they have, you know, they have probably... <laughs> They probably have forty-five-year-old Soviet yeah. radar, you know that kind of yeah. stuff. Old you know, tech. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it works fine, but yeah. I mean, you know, our our hardware is you know pretty pretty advanced, pretty pretty yeah, pretty sophisticated. Yeah, I'm, I remember that story. Um, I forgot who was the rep from Israel. Uh, I don't know if it was the prime minister or not, but he was like, "We could fly over them; they wouldn't even notice." Um, and it, it rattled Iran's cage a little bit. Yeah, they were kind of like. WTF. Well, if they had been so. smart, um, they would have like fired off some snark. They would have said, "Did this? Did this dude say we, we with the F thirty five we can yeah. fly over unnoticed?" Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that some somebody missed. Somebody in Iran missed the opportunity to say, <laughs> "Unless it catches on fire," <laughs> <laughs> which has happened numerous times. <laughs> or it's pretty fast until you fall into the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly, but yeah, you know, thinking about thinking about that idea of the rhetoric versus the practicality in yeah in the candidates knowing that's the strategy exactly right? exactly. And so now I'm thinking a little bit more like, okay, does it make sense to be moderate now, or does it make more sense for you to whip up the extreme left and then pull yourself to your real position for the general election for the general election. So now I'm thinking, is that a good strategy for like a Joe Biden or, um, you know, one of those governors that are a little bit more pragmatic? Yeah. I'm like, maybe not. Maybe um, maybe it's not going to work. They're, they don't have enough energy. You know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. you got to rile up the energy, right? Rile up the left, energize, get people moving, and then... For sure, because what's going to be... That's going to be happening on the other side, like, yeah, in, exactly. a, in, in grand style. I Already, mean, yeah. This guy... I'd like to... I mean, I, I just Trump is um, is I, he blows my mind. <laughs> President Trump blows my mind. He really, really does. In a good way, right? Like, uh, like in a like, like this is smart. Like, yes, you know what I'm saying. What he's doing is profoundly impressive. He's totally in con- like he's just controlling the conversation. Yeah, one hundred percent. He's in the he's, conversation. He's controlling the voters on the on the on the right. Yeah. And then I thought about this as we were talking right now. I was like, right now, you know, what the Democratic Party is trying to do is rally everybody to action. Mm-hmm. But Trump has been doing this. He's been whipping his his uh, his voters for years, right? Because, you know, he goes out and does these, like, stump speeches like he's trying to win an election. But he's been doing – he hasn't stopped. Yeah. He's been going to – and doing rallies and rallies and rallies. And it's like – Damn, like once they start going into election, his party's already whipped. He filed his papers for tw- for the 2020 re-election in 2017, in like like spring of 2017, <laughs> the very literal first date that it was legal to do, yeah. he filed. For, wow. He was, he's been in re-election mode since day one. Yeah. I mean, that's what the, they all are, but yeah. he's good at it, man. He's really good. He's going to be, oh God, with the snark and the hate <laughs> and the shade. He turns up the heat. He turns I, up the I heat. weirdly love it. I don't support him. Let me just be very clear to to you and to your audience. <laughs> President Trump is awful. Yeah. But he's so awful that he's like, it, it's endearing. Yeah. Like it's just he's gotten to the point where because he, he's 
not really all that shocking anymore, even though objectively it is. Yeah. The things he says and whatever, yeah. you know, it's just, but it's just like this shtick and it works. It's really, really funny. Yeah, I was busting your chops the other day because we were talking about Trump tweets mm-hmm. and how, you know, we were like, I'm so... We're surprised that anybody's surprised. Yeah, exactly, you know? exactly. Like, oh, I love, of, I love mocking. Right, but the, but the, I was totally, totally joking, outrage. joking slash not joking that we've normalized. Yes, crazy. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Oh, like, definitely. Could you imagine if Obama, like President Obama, is doing this? Oh. We, we would have been like, what is that? Yeah, definitely. Doing? No, I always specifically think... conservatives. If if Obama was doing this. At the time, there would be there would be an armed uprising. Exactly. Yeah. There'd have been like exactly the same rhetoric that's happening to Trump. They would have been like, he's not fit to be president. We should impeach him. Like literally everything that the Democrats are doing are the same thing yeah. that conservatives would have done with Obama yeah. if he did the same thing. Yeah. But like I said, I'm joking halfway, not joking. I'm like, we're normalizing a crazy president. Well, so what's going to happen when? He's not. It's not only who's next. He's but but he's a, a very conspicuous manifestation of just what's that the, the way things have been drifting in the last since I guess 2012, yeah. 2013. That's yeah. when things I was like, wait, things are getting really weird. Right? Really weird. That's when all the like campus insanity was happening, and um, it predated Trump by a, by a year or two, but. With him, like at the kind of, he's like the eye above the pyramid of the, the, the craziness. But it really does feel to me a lot of the time that we've passed through a membrane into an alt, into a parallel reality, like <laughs> yeah. as a, as a civilization, yeah. as yeah. a planet, uh. as a species, <laughs> just on the on the most biggest macro level you can imagine. It just happened like over the last I don't know seven or eight years, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> like it's yeah. just like wait, what? Things well, were normal know, before, like 2013, 2012, somewhere in there. Well, even just in policies, I mean, we were talking, I mean, as, as, you know, being a libertarian, we always talk about how either the policies that both parties offer are relatively similar, mm-hmm. or they flip, and they were on one side, and then they go to the other, and then the other parties on the other side, it's just almost like a mirror opposite. Yeah, yeah. Thinking about immigration, because, you know, very specifically... The Democrats all through the '90s were very like anti-immigration. Mm-hmm. Um, they were the ones that laying down these like major Definitely. laws to stop immigration. Yeah, from coming Clinton, in. Clinton uh, militarized the border yeah. right after yeah. the passage of NAFTA yeah. because he knew uh-huh. that there was going to be a flood of uh-huh. displaced farmers coming pretty much and, right away. And on that other side, Republicans were very pro-immigration. Like Ronald oh, Reagan, oh yeah, definitely George Bush, the amnesty, totally. So they were like, no, bring them in, let's give them their documents, blah, blah, blah. And the Democrats were like, no, right. we don't give them any benefits, et cetera. And just how weird the conversations have flipped. And now it's the Republicans who are like, no, we don't want them, don't give them any amnesty, blah, blah, blah. And the Democrats are like, they're, they're even going to extreme. They're going libertarian. They're going, well, what do you think about it? Do you think the Democrats are really open border or are they a controlled border? I mean, I know the answer, but I want to see what you think. Well, I think the mainstream is, you know, favors a controlled border, controlled border. and and yeah. I think the outermost fringes are, are yeah, they're true believing um, yeah. open borders r- radicals, yeah. and that's insane. That admit that exactly. That's that, what that's I'm saying. Like that's a that's part of a mainstream party concept that like open borders, thinking about like you know the Constitution or natural rights, right? Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. The ability to move and go where you want to is a libertarian foundation. It's also it's there's a, it's actually part of a lot of um, there's a lot of ideological overlap for that particular tenet or that particular yeah, yeah. notion. Yeah. Um, even believe it or not, I know it sounds like the craziest thing in the world, but 
it's another one of many examples of the stark difference between theory and practice and yeah. communism. Yeah. You've got to remember what's the closing. What are the closing sentences in the manifesto? Workers of all lands unite. You yeah. have nothing. But, you know, so it was yeah. explicitly internationalist. They wanted to have like you know. Uh, radicalized emancipated labor to be able to go wherever you know just like flow around the world and just like flourish which is ironic because you know communist and they like, built walls in every goddamn where yeah everywhere you know? <laughs> it was the most rigid yeah which, like, which brings way another, into their borders which brings another irony uh, in thinking about the rhetoric that's happening because now you go to the other side like donald trump conservatives this rhetoric that we're never going to be a socialist country we're never going to have open borders so they're almost painting Democrats as libertarians yeah. or socialists, right? But it's all irony, right? Like we talked about how Trump is doing farm subsidies. Um, he's controlling the border like a socialist or a communist country would. Yeah. So how are you not being socialist right now? You know, like, yeah. bro, you're being textbook socialist right now. What's going on? Yeah. yeah. So it's just interesting that now their marketing strategy is saying socialism, like socialism is the problem. And we're not going to have it. And we need to control the border. Total, total slide from, you know, the presidents before. So it's kind of interesting how it flops. Yeah. And they almost look similar. Um, but they just keep trading places. You and know? it goes back uh, a lot. This is something that I think about very, very often when I, my mind drifts onto the subject of politics and history. Uh, this goes back to, I mean, literally Civil War times. Um, during the... You know the Civil War period and the Reconstruction period in particular. The Republican Party—they're the ones that that instituted uh, radical Reconstruction, which was wildly radical. They sent black black Southern, you know, Southern black men to the uh, emancipated slaves to the United States Senate. I mean, it's, it, that's insane. You know, that's a <laughs> dramatic, dramatic shift. Yeah. In, in the power structure, it was temporary. It was rolled back, but um, that was the Republican Party of that time. Yeah. One of the reasons, one of the things that made it that wildly radical was that um, part of the coalition, two two big of the pillars of the of that that era's Republican Party coalition was the uh, radical abolitionists who were yeah. fundamentalist Christians. Yeah. And at the opposite end of the religious spectrum, for sure, atheist communists from Germany. Who came over to get away from the repression after the failed revolutions of 1848? A lot of a lot of those people were were those revolutionary exiles were absorbed into the Republican Party of that time, yeah. which is one of the things that made it so radical. Yeah. And part of that migration, migration, huge migration of uh, German left radicals who were escaping, didn't want to be murdered because that's what was happening in the aftermath of that revolution. Young men who had participated were being rounded up basically summarily executed so they knew they had to get the hell away one of the people that was going to come oh and a lot of those people ended up in texas a lot of the sort of central texas like fredericksburg yeah all that the stuff. germans that's those are the descendants of that migration yeah. that uh, wave didn't of, you tell me carl, carl, carl marx, marx was seriously considering joining that migration wave and coming to texas he could have been a texan <laughs> hilarious I, I when i found that out it blew my mind yeah so there's somewhere in the in multiverse, in yeah. alternate society, alternate time. Where Karl Marx goes Where to Karl Texas. Marx moved to Texas, and he probably stayed as political as he was, right? So he probably... He, it would have made him way more Texas. libertarian. Yeah. I think, he, I think he would have been like a, a, like a Western, like, like an IWW. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, like the IWW, the you know, yeah, anarch yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. anarchist union of the West. You know, very, 
strong individualist anarchist tendencies, yeah. but also it was a union, so it was it was interesting. It's, I'd like to. It's a subject I'd only know superficially, and I, the time yeah. that I read about it extensively was you know yeah. 10, 12 years ago. I'd like to revisit wow. it and come back. Yeah, there's a really interesting piece of the American libertarian yeah, puzzle, sure. especially on the left yeah. left end wow. of the spectrum. Well, going back to the debate, so yeah, so there's this interesting. Um, all these things that play. Is there anything else that you thought that stood out to you that you were like, I can't believe this is happening? Um, it wasn't as dramatic as, or at least my, re you know, my reaction wasn't as shocked, I should say, um, as it was after the the first round because I heard some really crazy things in the first round of debates. So I guess that had me prepared for anything this time around. Um, well, we are we are um, we didn't mention which Democratic debate we're talking about. So if you want to bring it in. We can talk about it. Well, I suppose what I'll, yes, what what one thing that's really been on my mind is the my favorite candidate, uh, Tulsi Gabbard, the way that she, uh, you know, she stood way out. Um, she really, really put, a, really dinged up the the Kamala Harris campaign. She'll probably recover, just like Biden recovered when Kamala Harris dinged up his campaign. But yeah. still, it was great to see, a you know. I've every time like I've always supported during the primaries a Democratic candidate who never has a chance because they're just like a sensible person, a sensible, decent person with good ideas. Uh, so you think it's the kiss of death for Tulsi Gabbard? Yes, yes. And it's that's illustrated by what happened. Um, you know, she stood white, she stood out. Yeah. But then, uh, and she was um, for the rest of that night, and I think into the, a little bit of the following morning, she topped. She was at the top of the, the Google search trends. You know, oh, the, yeah, I remember whatever. you said that, yeah. But she wasn't trending at all on Twitter. So Twitter, I guess they have beef with her. <laughs> they don't. And um, the thing that did, that was trending simultaneously at the top of Twitter as she was, you know, leading the search results on, on Google yeah. was Syria all of a sudden. And it was because she, that's one of the big, that's one of the that's blemishes. About pulling the troops from That's Syria. one of the blemishes on her record, which is that she went and met with Assad and wanted to, wanted to do something sensible and decent, like reach some kind of a peaceful conciliation. Stop the fighting. Yeah. yeah. But uh, that's no, you can't go meet nasty people. That's. I mean, didn't um, John McCain do it? Well, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it, it's a, it's only a problem when, um, you're not in the circle. You know what I'm saying? If you're if you're trying to be peaceful, yeah. You're, you're no. well. I mean, like even John McCain, nobody gave but he was, John he, McCain shit for that because I mean he was literally meeting with ISIS before they were ISIS. Oh right? yeah, that's right. That's right. He yeah. should, he's got a picture shaking their hand. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's like, why did nobody give him shit for it? You yeah. Know? It's yeah. really weird. But like I said, he's immune. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like I said, it's like anything. There's an in group versus an out group. Tulsi's not the in group. No, definitely so, not. Even though she's as reasonable, like, and I like Tulsi, like we've talked about it, uh, especially after the Joe Rogan podcast, I was like, man, I really like this person. Yeah, me like, too. I don't agree with her hundred percent, but it doesn't matter. Like, she's, I like her. She's really, really, really reasonable. Yeah. Totally. And then it ties in what we were talking about with the the healthcare thing. You kind of hit the nail on the head. Is like, we can we can put a shit ton of money into healthcare, but you have to sacrifice. Other priorities. You're spending on, yeah, right? for sure. Like specifically military. Yeah, and I think that's what Tulsi knows. I think she's talked about that. Is that you know we're not going to have a, a robust healthcare system <laughs> unless we cut down that budget of the military. Mm -hmm. And I think she kind of alluded to it, being by saying like, 
and not in so many words like to have this you have to get rid of that mm -hmm. but she was very much like let's pull our troops back let's cut all the expenditures let's reroute that money for something else yeah i think she said something to that effect of we're spending essentially four billion dollars a day uh, i'm sorry four billion dollars a month um on on uh syria or afghanistan syria so, that's how much i know because i know afghanistan is yeah. costing um you know billions of dollars a month right. as well she, um, it was one of those theaters she was like let's pull the troops out and let's reroute that money into healthcare or something like that yeah, which is a genius it's a it's a logical thing but do you think the party and the people that are going to vote for you are going to be that logical i don't know hmm. you know yeah i mean it's it's so hard to say um <laughs> the one along these lines the one thing that um just sort of, in, uh, I was engaging in some speculative thinking about it. I was thinking about what if this thing with uh, Trump, uh, which is my favorite thing about his presidency, is reaching out to um, to the North Korean regime, and he gets doesn't get nearly enough credit for it in my estimation um, because he's he's just you know yeah the whole orange man bad thing is um, uh, I think they call it Trump derangement Trump syndrome. Trump derangement system, <laughs> syndrome one hundred percent like. Refusing to identify anything good that he does. Yeah. The North Korea thing is, I think, fantastic. Completely, I think it's, yeah. Yeah. you know, a very, very, it's like, I don't know what his motives are, but, yeah. all, but all that matters to me is the outcome, which is peaceful relations with a very, very yeah. um, dangerous yeah. um, nation state. Um, and if we can have, if we can cool it with them and, you yeah. know, have formal diplomatic relations and, a, you know, a mutual understanding, then we, there'll be less justification to have. One of, the, one of our biggest troop presences anywhere, uh, yeah. our, our South Korean garrison is like 50,000 men. Yeah, wow. That costs a lot of money, Yeah, man. for sure. F feeding, think about it, 50,000 men, feeding them, housing them, yeah. giving them, you know, p paying them their combat pay, their, their, their beer and hooker money, and... <laughs> Damn. <laughs> is this a family show? Right. <laughs> <laughs> it got a little blue. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, folks. <laughs> Yeah, for sure he doesn't get credit, and like even me, I gotta admit when he when they did the home when they did the North Korea thing, I kind of um, even I was looking at it like this is bullshit. Like it's not gonna work. He's gonna talk a good game, and nothing's gonna come of it. That's what I thought. Mm -hmm. But it's still going, and you know it's cooling relationships. I mean, they're still you know they're still doing their negotiating tactic. As, I mean, as of right now, you know, there's, they're yeah. in the news again for yeah. firing off yeah. projectiles and all the rest of it. Yeah. And that's I mean, I think that's just part of the game. So it's kind of at weird. this point. Yeah, it's kind of weird because and there's another podcast I was listening to. It's kind of like they're saying with Trump. I mean, it's he's so all over the map that you have to take it. They call it a la carte, right? Like yes, there you go. Right? That's right. Yes, you just have to really find pieces that you like. Mm -hmm. and, and just say that was good that was good mm -hmm. now overall it's kind of fucked up yeah but i like this part i like this part and, uh, and thinking about that i'm i mean just because the reason i love trump so much or the thing that i love about him so much or rather i don't don't love the person at all uh is that he'd be so much fun in our group chat can you oh, imagine really? can oh you imagine he'd, oh, be, he'd rule it he'd you, be the president of our group chat you, uh, when you watch his interviews before he was running for president he is a cool guy like, yeah he was i mean what was that sh what's that new york show um tall skinny dude curly hair famous talk show uh howard stern howard stern yeah when he's on howard stern i mean he's letting it just 
he's talking about whatever. He's mm-hmm. talking about his, you know, tryst with whatever model. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Having a great time, and he's a normal. He's a normal, decent guy who seems nice to people, right? Um, but yeah, once he started running for president, it was like, and I feel I don't. I'm not sure what what is influencing that. I, I feel like that's. I feel like his extreme right view is not him. I don't know if he's really just. Uh, that's a very good question, man. Because like, he's to his his audience to keep him elected. Well, that's part of the genius is that you know it's hard to really he's like yeah it's hard to know what yeah what or, game he's playing you know like or, or the other day you know thinking about a la carte was he is trying to get a bill passed where he would allow Canadian medicine to come in and compete with oh, yeah. American medicine yeah yeah which is totally libertarian right like 100%, you should allow yeah. any market to compete. Um, and that Definitely. was one of the things we've talked about. Like, I mean, we we've even said, in, even in Mexico, the Mexican drug market is much more free market than ours is. Yeah. So why don't we let some of the drugs in Mexico? I mean, you know, plenty of people that probably go down there all the time. buy their medicines and come all back. the time. Like that's people in the Canadian border states. Yeah. Go to Canada for their medicines. People on the you know live close to the Mexican border go to Mexico for their medicines because in right. both instances it's exactly the same medicines. Yeah. That at Walgreens cost. And it's cheaper. I mean, like a fraction of the price. A fraction of the price, and I, you know, one instance of a good free market, you know, like comp- competing medicines have to lower their price. Yeah. And then on top of that, the other thing I really liked um, was that he was announcing that. Let me know what you think about this. But he was saying like hospitals have to publicize their cost of their medicines, treatments, everything like yeah, that. And that's such a. It's a really, really murky business. Um, I do. I have some back. I have a background in the in the healthcare yeah, industry, yeah. and the way that that hospitals generate their prices is it's almost like magic out of a <laughs> like out of a cauldron. <laughs> like it's like it's, you, you know, it's, it's, it's esoteric. Yes, yeah. you know, like yeah. it's it's. But and you know that you you probably know better than me that relationship between the insurance company and the hospitals. So the hospitals. You know, I'm sure they're saying this thing costs ten thousand dollars. So the the insurance company is going, okay, it costs you ten thousand dollars. I'm going to charge fifteen, and you know, raise the cost of this to all our insurance providers. So mm-hmm. there's this kind of what, what you would probably call an unholy alliance between the insurance companies and the hospitals, right? Mm-hmm. Keep things keep these things expensive because the insurance payer is going to pay it. I don't know. What do you think? It's the the healthcare industry, all the major blocks are arrayed against each other in very hostile and like mutual antagonism. The hospitals and the insurance companies being a perfect example. They're in a constant state of you know grinding against each other. Um, uh, but at the same time, um, they're arrayed together like as a cooperating yeah. machine that's just very, very gets a lot of things horribly, horribly wrong. Like, um, I hate you, but uh, we let's not stop this gravy train. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, um, it's, uh, it goes back to the Karl Marx quote, um, any capitalist will, I, I'm, this is far from a direct quote, but any capitalist will be happy to sell the rope to another capitalist for him to hang himself with or some, something like that. You know, it's just like they're all That's kind funny. of, they, all, they, want to, they want to kill each other, but when they also want to help each other kill each other. Yeah, <laughs> 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 so yeah for go. sure. Um, but it, I, th- I thought it was interesting because I know, you know, one of my prime political influences Ron Paul right oh yeah, yeah one of the I things like he Paul always talked about in terms of healthcare was 
the fact. I mean, he thought the pr one of the prime um, causes for costs to go up was because of the insurance companies and inflation on that side. So he was more about like disconnecting healthcare from the insurance, and he I think he was more about like moving instead of doing like universal healthcare, he was about doing direct doctor to patient relationship and being that the core piece of healthcare, meaning yep. the doctor decides what's he what what things are going to cost and what he's going to how much he's going to bill the customer, right? Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things he did mention though was like. Um, for hospitals to uh, publicize their cost, mm -hmm. like how much they're actually, how much this thing actually costs, and how much you're charging yeah. people for. So it was interesting that that uh, Donald uh, Donald Trump said that he was like, "I'm going to make it yeah. so it's transparent." And I was like, "Wow, that's libertarians have been talking about that forever." That's great, you know. So yeah, because you, you know, I mean, you know, it's it's all about um, visibility, right? Mm -hmm. The moment you make things transparent and these hospitals or insurance whoever's raising this price you're going to see it and you're going to go why the hell are you raising my prices mm -hmm. and you know those prices will come down mm -hmm. because they have to hit a more realistic level of cost versus how much money you're making out of it Let's see that's so it's the old he's substantiated that old cliche so many times about the uh the wall, the wall clock or the a wristwatch that's broken yeah being right uh twice every day so it seems, seems to be he seems <laughs> right. to be right right twice every day you know <laughs> when he's not like um ranting on twitter yeah um the other thing about trump that's been on my mind is that he seems to be like quasi superhuman in this regard he's 72 now or 73 he's 72 i believe right his self-care is atrocious. Oh my god. He doesn't He doesn't exercise. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't sleep. He sleeps like 4 hours a night. Yeah, yeah. He drinks 12 cans of diet coke per day. Do you know what he's doing to his gastric biome? He's destroying it. He's making it like he's making yeah. irreversible terrible changes. He shovels garbage into his face yeah, three times like a, a day. Massive McDonald's addiction. Yeah. He's eat, it's KFC, McDonald's, he's burgers, he's hamburgers every day. He's indestructible. He has he has endless energy despite all these incredibly terrible yeah. lifestyle choices. He seems to thrive on it. Which it's, you would think like even as like a it's like surreal previous, you know. He's a New Yorker, right? You would think as a New Yorker you'd have like the best restaurants. You wouldn't go to McDonald's. For oh, you know what it is? Whatever. It's been, I've heard it from multiple sources that the reason, well, he likes the way it tastes because junk food is yummy, you know, yeah. like it's, it's, addic it's, a, it's addictive, so, you know, there's that. But he loves that it's totally controlled and predictable. It's impossible to poison fast food. Yes. And he has a par paranoia about being poisoned. So it's, <laughs> much, it's very easy to poison you at a nice restaurant because it's yeah. a very fluid yeah, situation. That's true. That's true. You know, a lot of ins, a lot of outs. There's a lot, the food passes through multiple hands, et cetera, wow. et cetera. So if you're paranoid about being poisoned, yeah. that's one of the reasons he's way into his um, just, you know, yeah. um, his, his McDonald's. But, I mean, like you said, I mean, he, he's got this uh, like interesting draw to him yeah. that he's mastered, you know, like way yeah. better than anybody else. Like you think about all the Democratic candidates, they're not going to compete. Like, it's really, it's really going to be hard to compete with him by the time they start pitting like the Democrats versus the Republicans. <laughs> Because nobody's got that energy. Nobody's got that charisma. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And if it's Biden, I just don't see Biden. He already said malarkey. Malarkey. He said malarkey in the debates. 
Well, I, I actually like that word, but uh, it's very, it's like, I know it's really archaic. It's like 1920. It's like, yeah, it's old school word. Uh, it's like calling a crappy boxer palooka. Yeah. You know that word? It's like from right. like, like 30s, 1920s and 30s. Um, but he's already, like Trump, I mean, he misspeaks all the time, but he doesn't have like, okay, um, in debate number one, in Biden's first debate, he, he flubbed the line. They're like, it was just like a really like a softball question yeah. at the end. They're like, on day one, candidate, you know, wh whoever, what would you do? And they're like, I would blah, blah, blah. Uh, what's your, pro or what's your priority going to be on day one of your presidency? And when they got to Biden, he said to defeat Tom Donald Trump. So like, you didn't, you didn't get the question because yeah. no, if you're, it's, if it's day one of your presidency, yeah. you've already defeated Donald Trump. <laughs> check that one, it. check you that one off it. the list, Joe. You did it, bro. <laughs> yeah. Now what? <laughs> so he just comes across like, you know, like a confused old man a couple. And then the, the thing that we discussed, we discussed it since we started recording, the thing about uh, <laughs> Joe 303. <laughs> Joe 3030. We did not talk about that. that oh, my God. Hilarious. That is such a beautiful fail. You want to recap it for people in case they didn't watch it? Let's see. What did he say? Um, what he was supposed to be doing was... Um, getting people with their smartphones to um, text a message to one of those, it's not a full phone number, it's like a six digit number, right? Um, and that would automatically put you on a text message, you know, mailing list of some kind. Yeah, it would yeah. just like, it would juice you into the campaign or whatever. Yeah. Like, would, surveillance capitalism would, uh, would be in effect, <laughs> right? And so that's what he was instructing the audience to, or his supporters to do, like text. I think, I think what he was supposed to be saying, I think what he was supposed to say was text the word Joe to the number 3030 whatever. Yeah. But he said instead, go to <laughs> Joe, and then this like numerical sequence, which made it sound like a website. Yeah. And as we were joking before we started taping, it sounds like the name of a really questionable website. <laughs> <laughs> like a bootleg from like a Nigerian uh, prince early two thousands. Yeah, or like a Nigerian yeah. prince website. Yeah, you know? <laughs> so like there was there was three thousand thirty Joes who <laughs> booked a website before Joe got his presidential website signed up, and we were joking that whoever was the intern like forgot to get the register for that yeah. uh, that website yeah. and they had to like suffice for yeah. Joe 3030 because it was so many months after the, the launch of the campaign and all the like Biden, Biden 2020s were just gone like they just got the website right before that debate yeah exactly exactly oh my god <laughs> but yeah that, that was funny and in context too though um, I think everybody because it was the final rap you know final talking points and everybody before him was plugging their website. You remember that? Yes. I remember I was telling you. I yeah. was like, everybody was like, go to my website. Maybe go that's what confused him. I think so. Because Maybe. it was literally like, probably, I would say at least <laughs> four to five people before him. So I'm wondering, and I noticed this about Joe, is that he he's like, um, I don't know what to call it, but it's like he's a trained dog. You know? Mm -hmm. Like he responds on command. Yeah. He'll do what you tell him to do. Kind of what you said is like maybe he's off point, like he's not paying attention, like he's just saying stop Donald Trump because he's supposed to say something. 
So it feels like he's more of like uh, responding to commands. And it just doesn't feel, it just feels like he's not fully tuned in. Exactly. That's what, that's it's, what I mean. It's, yeah, he's got a little bit of a confused old man vibe, which Trump does not have, even no. though he should. He, he should. should be, he should have a dead old man vibe <laughs> because of the way that he lives. But no, he's, it's like, it's like his Popeye spinach or like his, you know, the good kind of kryptonite or something. Like, you know? <laughs> But now he's like a teenage boy, right? He's like just, stays yeah. up all night, yeah. eats junk food, so gets gets butt hurt and tweets. <laughs> yeah. He's like a millennial. We've we've joked that's an old joke that we used to make, but um, yeah, it's insane. He's, and then, like you said, comparing him and you like it's it's weird. I, I hope I hope on the backside the the DNC understands. And I was a little bit concerned because there were some candidates. Cause they talked about you know like basically. Do you understand why Trump won the last election? Like, I think they were trying to softball say, you guys are out of touch with the voters and mm-hmm. we need to get back to the blue collar Democrat type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead, they were saying, they were talking about Russia, mm-hmm. they were talking about uh, right. voter suppression with African American voters, stuff mm-hmm. like that. And you're going, and I was thinking, like, oh man, did you miss the point of like why Trump won? It wasn't yeah. because of like some bad guy. You know, out there and the, messing with the internet. Yeah, and the general public, huge majority of the general public, like eighty percent plus, is just not the least bit bothered about Russia Gate. Not really. I, no, not at all. No. I've known from the beginning because I've, I you know, I don't have amnesia. I remember you know the history that of things that have happened in this country in my lifetime. Yeah. One of which was two Iraq wars. The first one in nineteen ninety one. I was a sophomore in high school. No, check that. I was a freshman in high school. And I remember um, the, th- the, the thing that they kept on repeating over and over and over again, because it was already announced that we were going to invade, and the three-word phrase that was forever etched into my memory, elite Republican guard, elite Republican guard. <laughs> Bill, Bill Hicks made a hilarious joke about it because it was contemporaneous. It was just a few years before he died, yeah. uh, where he said uh, they were, you know, 12-foot-tall desert warriors who shit bullets, <laughs> you know? Like, so that's, that's exactly right. That's what it made it, they made it sound like, the mainstream media. Yeah. They dropped their guns, took off their uniforms, and ran away. They made it sound like they were like Navy SEAL caliber special ops, yeah. like studs, yeah. 10,000 of them, and they're not, like they were going to fight till the last right. one was dead, right? That's what the media made it sound yeah. like, yeah. and that's what I was anticipating. And then when it didn't happen, I was like, hmm, that's weird. Yeah. That's very, very strange, because that, until that point, I was, I believed the news. That was actually the a kind of a change, you know. A moment that changed me. Yeah, you know they made for sure like not not that I agree with it, but they they for sure made it like it was like some Russian deep state like conspiracy to invade America. You know, like like there was some like ultimate nefarious thing instead of just run of the mill counterintelligence like what it's, we do to other countries. And what that's uh, uh, one of the ways that Putin does maintain power in his country is by staging. Rallies of organizations that hate each other, like yeah. in the same yeah. like street. Yeah. That that happened, you know. Yeah. And there were Facebook groups that were formed to, like a BLM rally, uh, and then like at the neighboring lot, like in whatever city, yeah. um, like yeah. a states rights <laughs> rally yeah. or whatever. So, um, yeah, that was that. You know, there, there was Russian involvement, no doubt about it. But the. Is the thing that they won't leave alone is the this thing about collusion and that Trump knew and that there was it just it didn't happen. 
It didn't happen. The two, the Trump presidency yeah. and the Russian involvement happened yeah. in parallel to each other, right? In juxtaposition to each other, yeah. But there's no, no, like, no connection. Like you said, it's like it's there. It's like it seems like their their claim to it is like Russians somehow mind controlled people to go vote one way or another instead of just saying like Facebook is a minefield of opinions and. It's just one of I, I thought about when I thought about me I was like it Russia's opinion is like one of like a million that I see, so yeah it influences me in terms of I'm sure like Russian television RT right mm -hmm. they're always out there bashing the United States oh yeah it's know, hilarious right? it's right? their agenda is so transparent yeah but it's very transparent but like you said it's like it does does RT influence me to be a libertarian not really you know maybe they're one of the thousands of voices that I hear but. I was already, I already, I already felt that way before I watched RT, mm -hmm. RT, right? So I, I feel like it's like that. Like, did Russia influence people to, who weren't gonna vote, who were not gonna vote for Trump, to suddenly vote for Trump? No, no, they were probably already not. on. So there everybody had their mind you know made what? up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think that's what when I was listening to the candidates, I feel like they missed that. I feel like they were like, maybe there's a lesson we should have learned. Like when you get your ass kicked, you know, like yeah. <laughs> maybe I should have put my, my hand up and not get hit in the face. You know, you learn. But instead, it's like this kid who got his ass kicked. And instead of saying, like, I need to do better next time, they're just like, I didn't get my ass kicked. Right. A Russian came and hit me in the face. Yeah. And it's Trump's fault. Yeah. So we're going to kick his ass because of some reason we're suddenly the bigger kid. We're not. Right. right. So, yeah, I'm really interested to see who's going to come up. And, but then I talk in parallels. When I when I remember Trump going into the Republican Party, I don't think anybody took him serious. Like definitely I serious, not, right? And I wrote him off so many times, like completely. But then the the time that I it dawned on me that maybe he had some staying power and maybe something strange was going on was when he said horrible things about John McCain. <laughs> it was like this, like treasured, like like yeah. he's in this cocoon of love because <laughs> of the thing. Yeah, the, the, the Vietnam thing. Obviously, it's you know it's understandable. Uh, but yeah, and and so like Trump made fun of that. He yeah. made fun of him for getting shot yeah. down and captured. Yeah. Which, as we've discussed before, there actually is a little bit of merit to mocking him for for getting shot down because he was <laughs> violating orders. Anyway, uh, it's a totally separate story. <laughs> That's why I call him Maverick. All right. He's the original. That's his name. That's right. <laughs> Um, but yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I look at it and I go, yeah, who can, survived who's really, who can be his rival? And I don't see it yet. Um, I do like Tulsi, but then when I, put, I think she could give him a run for his money. If she could somehow survive, think so? I think if she could somehow survive being, she's already being manipulated against like Bernie was, uh, like Howard Dean was yeah. because she's one of the people with like principles and like sensible proposals. Yeah. It's just like, that's not, that doesn't work in Big time politics, you know. I you really don't think so. Yeah, you have to for be. sure. But even like I even try to play the arguments in my head of what I think, a, you know, a conservative, liberal, or progressive, and a moderate what they're what they would probably want. And honestly, I even if I'm, I think about specifically about bringing the troops home, and I think I don't know if people are there yet. You know what I'm saying? Like I think people still want war. Like. Yeah, unfortunately, they want us to yes. Be tough. Yeah, unfortunately, that's there's a very, very sizable. For I don't sure. know. I don't know what percentage it. But probably know. it's probably at least a plurality, simple yeah. majority. It's enough people that if you said let's bring the troops home, you know, 
Donald Trump could totally be like, we're not safe, you know, yeah. and we need to establish security around the globe. Yeah. You know, kind of the 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 normal bullshit we hear. But um, I could totally see a Tulsi. She has a really good claim, but I'm just not sure. I don't know. I would. That'd be great if she did. I'd be. I'd be amazed. I'd be blown I'd away. Be I, the, you know what? I mean, Trump. Trump did it. He blew. That, all, he defied was, all expectations. Yeah. So anything's possible. That's what know, I was thinking possible. today. I was and like, she raised her profile. Tulsi did, um, nice. you know, big time. She yeah, was, sure. and she needed it. She needed it bad. She was yeah. one of the people they were. All the pundits were saying they listed a handful of candidates who um, they were like, if uh, if they don't pop tonight, that's it. They're you know they really need to um, throw in the towel. Yeah. And luckily, Tulsi was one of the ones who did. So. Oh wow, yeah, but <clears throat> but for sure, I, I I kind of not wrote her off because I like her, but it was the same thing. Like, oh, I bet you the candidate I like probably not going to make it. Right? They're not. My, my opinions aren't mainstream America, right? But then I thought, I was like, well, wait a minute. I mean, Trump kind of literally came from nothing and he just rose, right? It was insane. It was totally insane. So, and people th dismissed him, yeah. wrote him off, yeah. and then finally he's the final candidate versus Hillary Clinton. And you're thinking, oh, she's got it in the bag. Wrong. Yeah. Um, she just totally didn't sell it. And uh, Trump won. Yeah. So it's like, I guess anything can happen. I shouldn't write anybody off. Um, it's kind of like, I mean, again, it's just the dude amazes me. It's kind of like a repeat of Citizen Kane. Um, <laughs> Orson Welles was yeah. 20, 25 years old. He had yeah. never made a movie before. Yeah. His first try, try, first attempt at making a motion picture, and it's by most people's accounts the greatest movie ever made. It's the same thing as Trump's. Like, ah, but it's like I'm going to try and make a movie, greatest one ever. Trump. <laughs> try to run for president I've never been in politics in my life I'm just going to run for president and I'm just going to basically just breeze to victory <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to be outspent by my opponent by like 8 to 1 he got elected president on the cheap yeah. That's, nobody does that it yeah. cost a billion dollars to get elected or whatever yeah. it is hundreds of millions Yeah. he did it on the cheap he just got so much free airtime uh, by being wildly outrageous yeah. and he was just well, I was gonna say, constantly I mean, in the news That that is one of um, the benefits of having somebody who's been in popularity for a long time like he knows he's mastered the art of media you know what I'm saying actually this ties into uh, what I'll call an insight I don't know it's what felt like an insight when it occurred to me and I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna to quote Ron Burgundy I'm gonna send it at you if you don't like it you can send it right back um, okay the especially as the presidency the office of the presidency has evolved um, particularly during the modern era, uh, post World War II, post FDR, when it be and you know, as it became what came to be known the imperial presidency, right? The the president of the United States is the office is that of emperor of planet Earth for four to eight years, <laughs> yeah, right? Right. <laughs> and so it's a position of enormous, like literally global power. You're like the Pope. You're one of the most powerful people yeah. on Earth. Yeah. The ex you know the the embodiment yeah. of the most powerful executive office on earth yeah. right so it's hand-built for narcissists right yeah for yeah, people who yeah, for sure. want the want the adulation of millions and millions of strangers want enormous power think that they can you know they, they have some kind of uniqueness or gift that makes them able to wield enormous power in a useful or whatever kind of way right mm -hmm. and so it's it's an office that's designed for people with disordered personalities and Trump is just like the poster child yeah. yeah for sure so yeah. maybe 
in a weird paradoxical way and only in certain elements he's perfect for the president he's perfect for the office like counterintuitively because everybody says he's unsuited for the office yeah. well temperamentally he's kind of perfect for the office <laughs> <laughs> kind of and honestly maybe that's why the republican party kind of acquiesced to him saying thinking in that same way like hey look on it they probably are like no really the power is in the senate power is that mm -hmm. so if we can kind of corral him a little bit mm -hmm. then he'll kowtow to what we want which is conservative values right that all right you know hate immigrants america only type of thing and uh he's totally like buying into it right because mm -hmm. i've never heard trump talk like this before until no he no he was a typical right? new york liberal very liberal right new york city liberal like you know voted democratic donated money to democratic politicians was active in democratic causes yeah exactly so and ran, ran in those circles yeah he was friends with a lot of black people like he's labeled a racist yeah. now and it's like during the the, the baltimore thing like yeah. all these <coughs> sharpton himself so it's like yeah trump and i used to hang out so he's he's just a shapeshifter man he's just a creature of the of the popular culture he knows how right. to, he knows how to just always yeah just nail it man yeah. <laughs> he's a machine he's a machine so yeah i guess we'll, i guess at the end we'll see um who rises um, at the end. I really, I mean, generally, <clears throat> not to play the the gender politics, but I really would like to see a female president. Uh, I think oh, it's time, right? Like, for sure. Generally, obviously, um, they have to win it. Yeah. But it would be great to have a female president. Yeah. I, I like Tulsi. I, that'd be Me, great. I, that, I'd be delighted if she yeah. somehow miraculously got, got elected and was able to implement any of the things she's talking about. Yeah. Oh, that's another thing that, that kind of bodes well for the future is that um, I don't, I can't think of any president, certainly during my lifetime, who's gotten elected and made a bunch of campaign promises and then started fulfilling them. Trump, that's true. Trump did that. Yeah. Like, you know, camp the building the That's wall his climb to fame you know uh, the his the policies that he promised are noxious and ugly and their implementation is very very ugly but he is carrying out the policies that he promised when he campaigned yeah presidents don't usually do that because yeah. the institutional pressures on the office are yeah. so intense yeah then you realize you can't just do gives this you just give zero shits like you were talking like we were talking about you have this really flighty idea of you know universal health care and then you go in the office and you realize like there's so many more moving parts than you thought mm -hmm. that you might as well just back off on this and focus on something else. That's probably what they would tell a president when it comes to universal health care. So you'll find this like shitty ver shittier version of it like Obamacare, right? Mm -hmm. uh, this really weird hybrid thing that you know. And I, and I get, I kind of understand that argument on universal health care, mm -hmm. meaning like Basically, it's only going to work if we go all the way in, right? If mm -hmm. we do like a half-assed system, it's not going to work. You know, it's going to get corrupted. So I understand that. But other advanced countries have hybrid systems. They do. They do. I believe France has a very, very effective hybrid system. I think Germany does. Um, the United Kingdom has a really weird uh, two-tier system where the public care is... In, there's pockets of excellence in, yeah. in, the, in the NHS, yeah. Yeah. but there, a lot of the care is... You know, it's like Soviet era. Yeah, it's really, long really waiting bad. times. They and are just, selecting who's going to get priority. It's just kind of Darwinian. Like, yeah, the, yeah. the hospitals are very Darwinian institutions in some right. cases. I've seen it, and there's yeah. been some scandals. Yeah, where you know, like uh, patients' families have to take their bed linens home and, and mm -hmm. launder them themselves. That kind of stuff. You know, stuff that in an American hospital would be considered yeah. wildly outrageous, even in a 
even in a crappy American hospital. Are you thinking about hybrids? For me, the one I think about is Japan. Because Japan is yep. um, taxpayer funded, mm-hmm. but you can choose from any healthcare program you want. Mm. Um, on the other side, they also do you know some regulation around that, but mm-hmm. they're like, we're going to give you money, mm-hmm. and you buy whatever insurance you want to. Australia apparently has a very good system. Oh, and in Japan, public health is very good. That helps a yes. lot. It yeah. really reduces the burdens on, on yeah. the overall system. But they have. But sorry, go ahead. They drink the, the, the in Japan. They have a very high. The, the only public health problem that they have is very high incidence of throat and esophagus cancer mm-hmm. and ca- cancers that are related to um, to drinking and smoking. Because yeah. man, they smoke and drink oh, like yeah. crazy over oh, there. God, yeah. They're way into it. Yeah, but I think you know one of the one of the things that that I've talked about before is in terms of like you said, it seems to me that socialized healthcare works in a country where. It's homogenous, right? Oh, definitely. Because then your medic your medical system can focus on the diseases that are primary, right? Mm-hmm. So you're not trying to hit all 100 diseases. You're just like, we're going to put a shit ton of money on the one that throat in, in Japan, right? Th- 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 exactly. Uh, drink drinking and smoking related cancers. Exactly. Like you're not going to get a whole lot of diabetics in Japan. No. <laughs> so we don't need Sumo that wrestlers much funding maybe. for it, you know. So you can move your money around the right way yeah but i wonder if here a place like in the united states where it's not homogenous it's very diverse can you get a good healthcare system that's got to cover like everything together i don't know well i think um step one would be um reducing um dozens of public health pathologies that we have i mean this country is a public health basket case that's one of the reasons that you know that costs are so out of control yeah you know i mean just the statistics are just appalling. You yeah, know? yeah, for sure. But anyways, well, I guess we'll see what uh, what comes of it. We have a, a year and a half. <laughs> yeah, and we're already doing podcasts about it. I'd be totally worried about um, election burnout. I would uh, that in me in my head. I'm thinking for the Democrats. I'm like, are you going to keep people over overexposure so long? Like, Candidates getting get overexposed. So tired of it, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah, yeah. But who knows? I mean, Donald Trump holds his little pep rallies. Like, literally, I think he has one, like, once a month, once every three months or something. He just goes and does a freaking rally. And I, I think they were making fun of him at first because they were like, you know, Trump, you were elected already. It's okay. You don't have to keep running for election. No. Nope. But maybe he's on to something. No, he yeah. knows what he's doing, man. Yeah. The guy, everybody says, I don't know if they're saying as much anymore, but for such a long time, or for, you know, the for a while after the start of his presidency, oh, he's dumb, he's dumb, he's unintelligent, he's dumb, he's dumb. He's the furthest thing from dumb, man. He's, he's wildly smart. Yeah. Uh, he's yeah. Yeah. he's he's very intellectually lazy, yeah. and that's that's misinterpreted as low intelligence. But intelligence and intellect are you know yeah very different things. They're but related, like, but they're different. Yeah, but like you said, I mean, I kind of I do kind of un, um, like that idea that the president is really just a figurehead, right? They don't. They're not supposed to hold power. The power is supposed to be in the legislation. Well, that's the way that right? constitutionally, that's the way that's it was supposed, supposed to be. To the be. principal power center in yeah. Washington was supposed to be the House of Representatives. Yeah. And all other entities were supposed to be right. slightly subservient to it. You know. That's almost the same way. I would say even like in a private setting, it's probably how the CEO is supposed to be. Right. The CEO is not "quote unquote" running the company, so to speak. He's, he's got people who are doing the board of direct the board and the, and he's um are he's executing the instructions of the board of directors. Exactly, but um, I mean, suffice to say that he's not really the the operational expert. 
he's the figurehead that's going to do your annual report and let you know things are okay or things are bad. And, and most uh, super corporate CEOs, their background is sales. Yes. Um, you rarely have like operations people or um, yeah. accountants or whatever, yeah. you know, like right. um, getting to the top because um, a CEO's job is in a lot of respect is to be a, a PR person, yes. to be a salesman yeah. for the corporation and yeah. to sell their vision of what the company needs to be doing internally to the yeah to the institution. Yeah. You know, that's a big part of what CEOs do. So maybe there is some genius in it in the sense that I'm, I'm sure Republicans are thinking he's a PR like gold mine. So let him be him. We deal with the legislation and the laws and everything that is actually getting achieved. Mm -hmm. And we just throw him a bone. Like, you know, this whole thing about Twitter, I mean, it was a big deal. You know, right? Like, he was banning people from his Twitter. Oh, yeah. Type of oh, thing. that's and right. The, I went to court, know, yeah. The court said no. <laughs> but it's just one of those things of like, maybe the, cause maybe the Republican has gone silent in genius to be like, you know, we're not going to stop him. It actually works in our favor if like people are distracted by what's going on and we just run run this town. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a huge part of it. Yeah. Yeah. So they're probably just going to let him do it. And the Democrats Democrats probably hate him for it, right? Because they don't run the town not right now. They have their, they have one, one one congressional chamber and that's it. Yeah. They have the House, and so, that's 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 a battleground. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's Pelosi and the mainstream the mainstream people are still firmly in control, but. The intersectionalist fringes are really good. They're making making a lot of noise yeah. and uh, getting just taking hogging a lot of the of the daylight. Yeah, you know. Yeah, they're they're definitely eroding. It's another part. Stuff. Another part of Trump's genius was to poke the that hornet's nest of um, the squad, right? Um, oh yeah. You know, they they became very very prominent. They were the thing in the news for like a good two or three days. And they became the face of the Democratic Party, and they're, they're, they're pretty hard to like. <laughs> they really, really, they're really, yeah. especially. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure they mean well. I'm sure there's good things about them. Yeah. Like Ilhan, Ilhan Omar, I heard something that she initiated um, that sounded like you know very good, like very good environmental proposal, which I like. But I mean, so much of the stuff that she says is just not, not cool. <laughs> which is kind of funny because you know the conservatives are really on them right now like you said and she's got these really I want to say I don't not even say like it's wrong but she's got these really negative comments towards America and Americans mm -hmm. and I think they have a rightful claim to go why the fuck are you here yeah. you know but I mean obviously in the like in the alt-right conservative crazy brain you're like where let's kick her out or let's deport her right. or uh, unfortunately Rand Paul did you see Rand Paul's comment I couldn't believe it he was like I'll buy you a ticket I couldn't you know? believe I was it like, Jesus, that was man. weird like, that was like that was I, so out of yeah. left field I, I was like I, I have I do have respect for Rand Paul sure he's taken some very principled positions yes. on like that's what's on touchy, so touchy things like, exactly I jumped into the fray on this I like, know it was weird come on it was strange it was like a like pro wrestling like a, a <laughs> Somebody over the head and then running with the chair. Yeah, and then running away. There really was like it had that kind of a feel. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's really interesting what you're saying about Trump. Even in the the debates, they talked about how he's sucking the air out of the debate. Oh yeah, everybody's yeah. talking about him. Yeah, but man, it's a genius. I mean, even right now we're talking about we talked we started with the Democratic debates and we moved shifted over to Trump. Yeah. 
how are they going to how are they going to beat that? I don't know. That's it's yeah. It's it's amazing the stunt that he's pulled. Yeah. And he's such a just like out in the open hustler. Like all the just like just enriching his family company just yeah. like out in the open. Yeah. Um sending the um the secret service his kids are out doing his company's company business, yeah. like traveling around the world, signing deals, and they have Secret Service protection. Damn. And they have government transportation. Wow. It's all on the public dime. And the um, when Kellyanne Conway, right at the beginning, when she was like, buy Ivanka stuff, I wear it, I love it. And it was like, a, a, <laughs> she was like a, a, an official functionary of the White House doing a media appearance, like a press interview. And she yeah. started, and it's like a yeah. flagrant violation yeah. of whatever the yeah. emoluments or whatever it is. It's for sure. So he's just, it's like, he's like, it's like having iced tea for president. <laughs> it's like having Triumph the Insult comic dog for president, all wrapped up into one, man. It's, it's, a, ter- it's a terrible time we're going through as a nation, but it's so damn funny. It's just, and I, well, we love, we love to laugh. We love jokes. We love it's morbid amazing. jokes. We yeah. love sick jokes. Yeah. And the world, like contemporary yeah. America is full of yeah. sick, sick jokes. Just they're everywhere. Yeah. They're just like low hanging yeah. fruit. Like, yeah. Ripe. Yeah. Sweet. The, the, yeah. the normal decent society is like eroding and it's getting into uh, probably our reality, which is kind of a, yeah. kind of a crazy, <laughs> like, you know, Let's just go with it and see what happens. Yeah. Because I, I, I thought about, I was thinking about when you were talking about it, I was like, normally a president, their first four years is trying to, you know, get everybody working together. So mm-hmm. they're trying to find some, you know, concessions and, you know, let, work with me, I'll work with you and yeah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Well, but their cool. second is always like, like a gun and like now, since it's their last presidency, they're really going for what they believe in. Right? And there's an element of deadline pressure because they only have the first two years of their second term because the second two years of their second term, they're already on their way out. It's like senioritis in high school. Yeah. Because um, it's just everybody's already like looking forward to the next. Yeah. You know, they're already in trans. Everything's already in transition yeah. at that point. So it's going to be crazy to see if Donald Trump gets elected, what's he's going to be like when he's got nothing to lose. Because right now he's trying to yeah. still win votes, right? Yeah. But after that, <laughs> Never thought about that, he's gonna be like, I don't, I don't know, unrestrained. He's unleash, yeah. It's gonna be Trump after dark. <laughs> <laughs> Which kind of scares me in one way, and it doesn't in the other. Like I, there's kind of a risk, because the way he's portraying himself right now is this like alt right conservative guy, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to ask yourself. Is he doing this to maintain the votes so he can get elected next time, mm-hmm. or um, is he really like this? And so it's like one way: is he just faking it to get there, mm-hmm. or is he really like this and he's going to keep being like this? My, I'm thinking he's not like this. Like everything I've seen on the decades before, yeah, doesn't really ring conservative. To yeah, me, you know, yeah. seems like a liberal, a New York liberal, who's a little bit more like. I believe in government-controlled freedom. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, time. yeah. I feel like he's like that guy. Yeah. Then I'm pretty sure once he gets into his next term, he's gonna unleash that. the Trump of old. He's gonna unleash it, in my opinion. So. Well, especially if he, um, uh, the th- one thing that'll guarantee that is if, and I think this is quite unlikely, but you never know. If he wins, and then the Democrats take both congressional chambers, because then. Uh, a, he'll have yeah. nothing to lose, and B, he'll have to get legislation passed by the Democratic, you know, by Democratic um, legislature. 
but I mean, who knows what's going to happen between between now and then? They could lose both chambers, or they could, you know, the yeah. Senate, the, the Republicans could retain the Senate and then retake the House. Yeah. Or we could have the status quo uh, yeah. remain the same, yeah. or um, whatever. I mean, it's. Well, we'll wrap we'll it know, up. We'll know we'll next do November. One more question. <clears throat> the one I always uh, I'm hoping for is: Do you think there's any potential for a rise of a third party? Something else besides Republican Democrat. Well, um, if they. Okay, I heard a very interesting way of putting it on a podcast some months ago. Um, they were talking about society gen more generally, but it definitely applies to the Democratic Party. There's um, the most fringe elements of both parties. Uh, imagine, imagine the um, the two-party system being like a circle composed of two like semicircles, uh -huh. and, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's spinning and like. It's spinning yeah. at a predictable rate, yeah. and that's how political history moves forward. What's happening right now is that the fringes are like pushing outward and outward and outward mm -hmm. and outward, mm -hmm. and it's causing like centrifugal force, and it's causing it to spin out, yeah, of, control out of control and and just expand mm -hmm. centrifugally. So, if that process continues, then uh, the parties could definitely splinter. It's happened before. It's happened. They could they could just just go flying apart, and then there'll be a realignment. Um, and um, there could be, yeah, there could be um, multiple parties. Yeah. Uh, the problem with that is that what seems likely to happen, because it's what's happened every time that the, there's been a bust up before, is they just coalesce into two parties again. Just like the, <laughs> the, the interests that hate each other yeah. that are like in uneasy alliance in yeah. one party, like yeah. finally the tensions just break. Yeah. And like, it's just like, you know, multiple interests. And then they just kind of like swim around and like, a raging river of like temporary history and then all of a sudden they recoalesce and boom it's like two parties again <laughs> that seems to I mean that's happened numerous times so maybe we're in the process of something like that um, I would hope that um, we have some you know uh, multiplicity of political parties I think it would be it would slow things down a lot especially the way things are structured uh, in fact I think things are structured for two parties yeah it's just kind of weird that <clears throat> I don't know. I see other countries like Canada, Mexico. There's more than two parties. Oh yeah, it's all of weird. Europe. Yeah, most countries have more than two parties. It's really weird that for some reason in America we just have Republican or Democrat, and whether you're a conservative or a libertarian, you jump in there. Actually, I think the Libertarian Party has a bright future if they manage things right. If they do, if they manage their outreach properly to uh, people like me basically who are very disaffected people yeah. from the left who are kind of old-fashioned modernist left progressives left liberals you know I don't even I don't know what to label to put on myself yeah. definitely left of center yeah. but I'm in the the rise of the intersectionalist insurgency um, in the last five to seven years has yeah. really really yeah really really bothered I, me a lot well i mean we've and it's about driven this. me you know oh for sure it's i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of potential there to capture in the middle um and just a lot of alienated liberals a lot of, a lot of alienated liberals um moderates there's a lot of people moderate, that are just centrists like, they're waiting for something so i always feel like there's like you said their parties are pulling <laughs> apart there's this middle gap yeah. that's the prime vote. I used to think being a centrist was being a coward. Now I think it's one of the most principled positions you can take. Completely. <laughs> Completely. Yo, and one of the most principled and one of the bravest. <laughs> right. 
right. you know because if you're a dead centrist then like the intersectionalists are like you're, yeah. you're a white supremacist and the <laughs> white nationalist you're a cuck so like you just you're damned if you do damned if you don't man but yeah I I, I wish it would be the libertarian party because they are like quasi-liberal quasi-conservative um see it's going to take a lot of time they'd have to, they'd have to the libertarian party lp would have to be a much bigger tent yes they'd have to be well which i think i think over time incrementally it will get there because uh, i know even with the last election you know the voter registration doubled for libertarians that's great i so wish them well great. i'm i'm um they're just like you said the the number of people are, hasn't swelled enough yeah my serious. from now on or for not not from now on but definitely for the next next year i mean i know exactly what i'm doing i'm voting um, I'm voting in the Democratic primary, and if Tulsi's still in the in, in the running, I'm voting for her. Yeah, and then depending on the candidate, maybe I'll vote Democratic if it's by if a long shot candidate who I like is the nominee. But if it's one of these clowns, um, I'm voting Libertarian. <laughs> right, I am. I'm voting Libertarian for president. And uh, what's the odds they are gonna elect a clown? Very, very, very high. high. <laughs> They're really good at snatching <laughs> defeat from the jaws of victory. You know, right. they're wizards at it. All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap up. All right, but, my uh, Thanks for doing the podcast. Man, with anytime. Again. Just let me know. I, I love. I love doing it. Yeah, it, I, I love it. And uh, like I said, I'm trying to get back into it. So um, let's do it again. All right, brother. All right. All right. Thanks for listening, and we'll hear you next time.